Well, good morning. It is good to see you here this morning. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. And while you're flipping there, i got a couple pictures for you to see. Uh, Luke called me this morning, uh, and he's about to head back to Delhi to fly back in. He'll be back Tuesday. The first picture, which one is it, Kennedy? So uh, the money that uh, you guys raised, uh, it's been going to different pastors throughout the time that he's there, but we're able to buy a pastor a motorcycle, uh, specifically from Cross Point. The money that was raised uh, was, uh, uh, like I said, given towards uh, buying a motorcycle. On the next picture, it's a little fuzzy, um, but the, what they're holding is uh, metal serving trays for uh, the orphanages. And so we were able to buy 12 orphanages um, metal serving trays so they don't have to use paper and things like that. So uh, you directly get to see uh, where that money went towards. And as I said, it's been other places as well along the way. I know he's helped out some pastors and, and things like that. So thank you so much for supporting him. Uh, like I said, he's got uh, another day and then he's flying back here. And so we're anticipating hearing from him. Also, I want to say thank you to everybody who, I felt like I just said this two and a half weeks ago, three weeks ago, but reached out this week um, with my dad passing. Uh, many people dropped by the funeral home or sent words of encouragement. Uh, and so I just want to thank you uh, so much uh, for your love and your support. Acts chapter 9, let's dive into verse 32. <clears throat> it says, now as Peter uh, Went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints uh, who lived in Lydda. There he found a, a man named uh, Ananias, uh, or Nea, sorry, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to Ananias, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose, and all, his, and all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Verse 36, now there was in Joppa uh, a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died, and when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Uh, since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with, went with them. When he arrived, he they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas had made, or that Dorcas made while she was still with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. Turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. She opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up, and he gave her his hand. Uh, and he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then, calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in in the, in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. Let's pray, Father. We love you, God. We thank you for your love for us, God. We thank you for your word. We pray now as our eyes and our minds uh, turn our attention to your word, God, that you'll speak to us, that you'll guide us, you'll give us wisdom to see uh, that which you want us to see this morning. May Jesus. And his name and his power be lifted high this morning. It's in Christ's name. And everybody said, amen. So now we're in a part of Acts chapter 9 that we're about to really transition into a big time. So we, when we ended last week, 
Saul, uh, kind of his conversion and commissioning story uh, had kind of finalized, and we see him sent off to Tarsus. Uh, and so now what we see is Luke's bringing Peter back into center stage for a couple chapters before really Paul uh, kind of headlines the rest of the book of Acts. And so, uh, so far, uh, we, there are really big, three big game changers in the book of Acts. Uh, it really changed the course of human history. First of all, it was Pentecost, right? When the Holy Spirit came down and filled uh, the apostles, they began to speak and people got saved. That was like, obviously, the first big game changer moment that we've seen in the book of Acts. The next, the, the next big game changer uh, is what we've been studying over the past few weeks was the conversion of Saul. Uh, a man who was once a blasphemer, persecutor of the church, now gets born again and is commissioned to go and preach the gospel. The third really big game changer comes next chapter in Acts chapter 10 when a Gentile named Cornelius gets saved. Uh, because when that happens, it begins to officially switch from really to all people. We've seen foreshadows of that, right, with Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, uh, who was from uh, Ethiopia, Ethiopia, which was known as the ends of the earth, we've seen foreshadows, and we've seen Samaritans, kind of half-Jews, come to faith in Jesus. Um, but now in chapter 10, through this really, it's a game-changer moment, because now officially um, the gospel is going to the Gentiles. There's Gentiles getting saved, and, and so it's a, it's a game-changer. What we see really is the, the, this Chapter 9, verses 32 through 43 is kind of like a, a transition from Saul being sent off to the salvation of Cornelius. Uh, because, we, like I said, we bring Peter back into stage. And what we see really at the end of 9 in the chapter 10 is that uh, really Peter, and he was hard-headed. Uh, and they, uh, often people said that uh, he had a mouth that was shaped like a foot because he constantly was putting his foot in his mouth. Uh, but he was hard-headed. And so what we see, even in his humanity, uh, is that he had a hard time understanding the idea of the Gentiles being grafted in. And so what we see at the end of 9, into chapter 10, God going through drastic measures to convince Peter that the gospel's for all people. And so that's kind of like the, the big picture, like if we're 30,000 foot up, that's what's going on at the end of chapter 9, and we get into chapter 10, is that God is ultimately showing Peter what we see through a dream that the gospel is even for the Gentiles. But before we get to chapter 10, we see this, this, this miracle. There's two miracles that God does through the hands of Peter. And what we'll see this morning is that Christ, and I think it's the title of the sermon, is that Christ has, the power, has power over disease and death. And then in chapter 10, we'll see that he has power over even discrimination uh, with the ideas of Gentiles coming in. But this morning, if you're taking notes, number one, the A is that what we see in this text, first of all, is that Christ has the power over disease. Look again in verse 32. It says, now as Peter, uh, as he went here and there among them all. Now, pause for a moment. Remember when persecution began to happen, everybody spread, everybody ran, but what did the apostles do? They stayed in Jerusalem, right? So we remember that whenever Acts 8 begins, the, those who were being persecuted, the Hellenistic Christians, were, were, they spread, but it said the apostles stayed in Jerusalem. Now we did see after uh, Samaria believed that, that the apostles came down for a moment to kind of, and that's when the, the spirit fell on the Samaritans, but then they went back to Jerusalem. Now when we get to Acts, into Acts chapter 9, it's saying that Peter's going from here to there. Uh, as in now he's coming out of Jerusalem, he himself is going and he's doing two things. First of all, it says that, that, he was, that he went here and there among them all, and he also came down to the saints. And so here we have really the first record of the, the apostle Peter going out on really a preaching tour, if you will. And what he was doing, he was going to evangelize, 
but he's also going to the saints there uh, to disciple, to, to teach. And so we see Peter is, is going here and there among them. So among those who were unbelievers, and he said also he came to the saints. And uh, this word saints here is, a, is a pretty cool because this is actually the second time. I missed it in Acts 9 uh, all the way back to uh, verse 13 was actually the first time that we see in the book of Acts that the church is referred to as the saints. And so here, when we get to this point, now Peter is going, he's preaching, he's going to evangelize the lost, he's going to disciple the saints who were in Lydda. The word saints here is, I wish I had time to really just dive into that, but uh, it, it really means that the holy ones, those who are different than, those who are called out, and so isn't it incredible uh, that them being called saints had nothing to do uh, with other than the fact that they had believed in Christ, that they had trusted in Jesus, and therefore God had declared them in Jesus that they were saints, that they were holy, that they were set apart, that they were different. And that's the power of the gospel is that whenever we place our faith in Jesus, God declares us saints. Like, it doesn't matter. And for some of us, it's like, oh, yeah, I know I'm a saint. If that's you, then you got a problem. Uh, but for some of us, we feel the weight of our sin, right? And really, how can I say this? The more mature our faith, the more aware of my sin I become. Uh, so the very fact that God would refer to me as a saint is, is beyond my wildest imagination. But here, uh, it says that he was going even to the saints that were there. Now, that maybe that encourages somebody this morning that no matter how bad your week was this week, maybe you, you didn't score the touchdown spiritually, if you will. Maybe all you did was fumble the football over and over again. God has still called you and declared you a saint. Uh, that he is, you've been redeemed in the blood of his son. That was free. That has nothing to do with Christ. That has no power over disease, but somebody needed to be told that. So he's declared and made holy. And now watch what he does. So there he found a man named Aeneas and says he was bedridden for eight years. So for eight years, the man had not gotten up. Now this is different than the Acts chapter three paralytic who had never walked a day in his life. But if something happened to this man, some eight years prior to this accident, sickness, something happened. And for eight years, he's been paralyzed. He's sufficiently paralyzed, if you will. It wasn't just a bad day. For eight years, he had been bed ridden. And whenever Peter comes, he finds him and check out verse 34, what he says. He says, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. Here's this man for eight years has not walked. For eight years, he's come to this place probably to, to ask for alms, kind of like the, the Acts 3 guy, uh, to ask for help, to, and he was dependent upon somebody. But this bed is what defined his life. Everybody see that? Like this bed is what he was confound to, confined to. It was the, the summary, the totality of his life was he was crippled, and he was on this bed. And notice when Peter comes, he doesn't say, hey, look at me, I'm going to do something. Peter didn't show up and say, here's my opportunity to gain more power and more prestige. What's the first words he says? He says, Aeneas, Jesus heals you. He didn't, he didn't, bring, a, he didn't bring any accolades to himself because he knew that Jesus alone had the power to heal the disease. To heal the disease. And he says, make your bed. Now, that's a beautiful picture. 
Here's this bed that has defined this man for the past eight years. And Peter says, make it and let's go. You see the, 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 the fullness of that healing. What Peter is saying is, hey, listen to me. You're not going to be laying on that bed near as much anymore. And you're not going to need that bed just to sit down anymore because Christ is healing you. Christ heals you. So get up and walk. That bed is no longer going to define you any longer. He pronounces it and what he, he raises up. And what's the result here? It says, and all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him and they turn to the Lord. That's a beautiful picture. I, I want to take your memory back to when we started Acts, that we see a series of things, and it was the same thing that Jesus did, was, was mighty works, signs, and wonders, right? Y'all remember those, right? There was a, it's a formula that we see throughout the book of Acts that, that God would perform a mighty work, and it was a sign that, that pointed to a greater reality, and there was an awe, there was a wonder, and what it did, it, it, the, the purpose of that was to see past the mighty work to the one who performed the work, right? The biggest illustration of that is remember when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Everybody with me? Like, that's a great sign, right? What? And what does Jesus say after that? I am the resurrection and the life. The sign, the mighty work was to a greater reality that people would see who Jesus was. We see it when he feeds the 5,000, right? What does he say after that? I am the bread of life. It's this miracle that happens, but the miracle isn't the point in itself. The point in itself is the awe, if you will, that we see Jesus as the bread of life or the resurrection. And so Peter comes in, he heals this name, guy named Aeneas, but what's the result? So that people would turn to the Lord. Right? That's the purpose. The purpose in these miracles wasn't so that Peter would have these accolades or people would just follow him. Now, I do think that Luke is very intentional to kind of bring Peter back in the, in the grand narrative of Acts. I think Luke is intentional in bringing Peter back onto the stage to show his, 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 the authenticity of his apostleship because it's through Peter. That, not, listen to him, this was crazy. We know Paul was the missionary to the Gentiles, but the first person to reach the Gentiles was actually Peter. And so through this apostle who's going to have this dream, who's going to change the story, say, listen, no, the gospel does go to the Gentiles. We see him, him coming there. But the, the, the result of this mighty work is that many turn to the Lord. Now look at B, is that Christ has power over death. So we see him have, Christ, he have power over disease and healing the paralytic. Now we are introduced to this lady named, well, not really introduced to her. We heard about this lady named Dorcas. Where scripture says that, first of all, that she was a disciple. Her name's Tabitha, uh, or translated Dorcas, and then some translation actually is translated, it means gazelle, so I don't know what that says about it. I don't know if she was a fast runner, or, or she could jump high, or, or something like that, but that was actually the translation of her name. Uh, but what, the first thing we see about her is that she was a disciple. Uh, that she, she had trusted Jesus. We don't know that about Aeneas. We don't know if he was, if he was just, uh, because, and you could tell me if I'm wrong, but not, I don't know if there's anywhere in the New Testament, don't tell me right now because that'd be embarrassing, you can tell me after. Uh, nowhere in the New Testament do we see a believer actually be healed from disease. We see them raised, we see them resuscitated, if you will, like a, a Christian, definitely in the book of Acts, a Christian is actually the one being healed. We see them, like I said, risen. Uh, but anyway, so that could be a sermon in itself. Uh, anyway, but we're going to keep moving forward. So we see, we see that she's a disciple of Jesus. Uh, 
And it says that they had heard that she was full of good works and acts of charity. And we see that uh, whenever Peter gets to the upper room and there are widows there that have these tunics and these garments that Dorcas had made for them. So evidently, her ministry was to make these clothes for these widows. So she was a disciple of Jesus. She was full of charity and good works, but she became sick and she died. And because Peter and them were close, uh, I think that... um, Lydda was only about 10 miles southeast of Joppa, so about 10 miles away were Peter and the rest of some of the disciples. And so they went to Joppa. And when they got there, uh, notice uh, it says that when he arrived, that's what the widows showed, these tunics and these garments, probably that they were wearing that that Dorcas had made. But what did Peter do in verse 40? He said he put them all outside. And he knelt down and he prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, Arise. So Peter cleared the room and he prayed because not only did Peter understand that Jesus alone had the power to heal disease, but he knew that Jesus alone had the power to raise the dead. And so we see him get down on his knees and he prays. And I wanted you to see this. Go to uh, the Tabitha Rise. So he actually said Tabitha Rise. So, so I want to just take a mental picture of Tabitha Rise, something really cool that I don't know if it has any spiritual significance, but in a minute and we're going to get back to it. So Tabitha Rise. Everybody take a picture of that in your head? Okay. Tabitha rise. And what's the result? And it came known throughout Joppa, many believed in the Lord. So we see two miracles, the results of those miracles, many turned to the Lord and many believed in the Lord. Verse 43 is a a connection or a transition verse whenever he says, and he stayed in Joppa for many days with one named Simon, a tanner. Like, that is, like, we don't really understand because we don't understand really, like, Jewish things. Uh, a tanner would be somebody who was ceremonial unclean because they worked with dead animals. So even in Luke's writing here, he's given a little hint that something's going on with Peter, that he's actually staying with a guy who was, by Jewish law, was an unclean one. And that's who Peter spent time with. That's who he stayed with. All right, so what, what's the meat of this text? What's the take home of this text? I believe uh, in the narrative speaking, what Luke is doing, like I said, he's bringing Peter back onto the stage to, be, to, to really uh, to, to, to make clear the authenticity of his apostleship. And there were really four things that, that Peter did in this text that, that really uh, proclaim his, him being, being an apostle, the way that he did things. And these miracles, there's really four things that these miracles, these two miracles had in common. So if you're taking notes, number one, four signs of the authenticity of, of, of Peter's apostleship. Number one is that both of these signs followed the example of Jesus. And this is important, maybe definitely not for them, but for us. And so I'm going to put an asterisk here. Because in 2022, and I've said this over and over again, in the convenience of our home, we can have, the, we can have First Baptist Church of Justin Holofield, or whatever your name is. There's enough videos and sermons and churches on YouTube that go live every Sunday that if we like the music at one church, we can listen to that. We don't like the preacher, we can cut it off and go to the next church and watch the sermon. Or if we don't want to stay focused long enough, we can pause it and come back later and finish it. We can have First Baptist Church of our convenience, right? So there's an overload of preachers and sermons that we can expose ourselves to. Everybody with me? Like the, the, the fountain is flowing with everybody being a theologian, right? 
And here, there are four things that we walk through that Peter does that are really checklists for us in us being wise in who we're exposing ourselves to. Everybody with me? So this is like pastor moment. How do we navigate this, this, this overflow of everybody's, there's sermons everywhere and there's churches everywhere. Everybody with me? So this is like me helping to guard you. All right, that's what I'm doing here. All right, so first of all, that these, these miracles, first of all, they followed the example of Jesus. And say, so Justin, what do you mean by that? Well, in Mark chapter two, Jesus heals a paralytic. And it's, you know, it's not all the verses are come up, but Mark chapter two, verses one through 12 is a story with Jesus heals a paralytic. But specifically in verse 11, this is what Jesus tells the paralytic. He says, I say to you, rise and Pick up your bed. And so when we get to Acts chapter 9, what does Peter do? The same exact thing he has seen Jesus do. Rise and make your bed. Pick up your bed. But there's another story. Uh, whenever uh, in, in all week, uh, I've been thinking about Ascend the Hill, uh, because if you came to Ascend the Hill last time, we did like the monologues, if you will. Uh, and there was one of those that actually Ann Tress did where she was Jairus' daughter. Uh, and so the, the, there's a story in Mark chapter five when Jesus heals Jairus's daughter who had died or raises Jairus's daughter who had died. And so in Mark chapter five, beginning in verse 35, this is th that story. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house whom some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. So pause for a moment. Jesus is about to go to this ruler's house, and who does he bring with him? Peter, James, and John. All right, so who's doing the miracles in Acts chapter 9? Peter. All right, everybody with me? All right, so that's who's going to this house. Uh, and so it says they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus I saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, but he, watch what he does. And he put them all outside. What did Peter do in Acts chapter nine? He pushed them all outside, right? And so <laughs> he's following Jesus as an example of Jesus. So, uh, all outside took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in there where the child was. Uh, taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha Kami, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And so here's the, here's the cool point. Uh, so where's the Tamitha? Oh, go back. Go back one, Kennedy. All right. So Talitha Kami. You remember the, what I told you to memorize, take a picture of? Tabitha, uh, rise. Uh, so when, when, when Peter would have said to Tabitha, Tabitha Kami would be the, actually the same exact thing other than instead of an L, there's a B. I thought that was really cool for some reason that Jesus says Talitha Kami, which means little girl. And the only difference between what, G, what Peter did is that there was a B instead of an L. Uh, and so Tabitha Kami, uh, Kami or Tabitha Kami, which is a pretty cool picture. But the picture is, is he's following the example of Jesus. What's the takeoff from that? It's Peter's not really torching his own trail. He's not bringing something new to the table that Christ hasn't already uh, instituted or, or began to exemplify. He's doing things the way the Lord has shown them. And as a church, we're required to do the things the way that God has designed for us to do things. 
And any time that we're following or we expose ourselves to any type of teaching or leader, anything like that, that it's like they're just, you know, making up new stuff, then you probably they're going the wrong way. The people we follow is the people who do things the way that God has called and designed for us to do. The second thing we see from this text is that these miracles were performed in the power of Jesus. What does he tell Aeneas, he says in verse 34, that Jesus heals you. Verse 40, what did he do when he got beside Dorcas' body or Tabitha's body? Is that he, he knelt down and he prayed. Peter knew that there was no power within himself. And so these miracles are not anything that he contributed to his own power or his own ability or his own gifting. Everybody with me? It pointed to the power of Jesus. The focus went to Jesus, not himself. The third thing, hey, y'all might get out early today. The third thing is that these two miracles were signs of the salvation of Jesus. And I thought this was real cool when I saw this this week. When he tells Aeneas to rise and he tells Tabitha, arise, is actually the same verb that's used of God raising Jesus from the dead. Tabitha, we obviously know she was resuscitated, but she was going to die again like a Lazarus. But both of these stories portray the, the, the believer raising to new life. You had a man who was once confined to this bed. It would define his life because of his sickness. And because when he rose, it's this picture of him raising to a new life a life that wasn't defined by this mattress anymore. This life wasn't defined by his disease or his sickness. And it's the same picture with Dorcas, where she was dead, but then she was alive. This picture, it portrays the salvation that we find in Christ Jesus, that we were dead, we were down, we were out, and Christ raised us to new life. And the fourth thing that we see in this text is that it resulted in the glory of Jesus. It was done by his example and his power. It portrayed his salvation, but it points to the glory to him. Many turned to the Lord in Lydda, and many b believed in the Lord in Joppa. So what's the take home? I, told, I would tell you all all the time about the sufficiency of Scripture, right? That's something that we talk about is that we, if you're new to us, the way that we do things is that each week we come up, we preach a section of verses, we come back the next week, we're going to pick up where those verses, where we left off, we're going to keep going because we believe in the sufficiency of Scripture. And usually when I say those statements, I'm saying, thinking about you guys in mind, right? Because I've, I've, I've had a testimony of uh, we get to some random part in the book of Acts and you say, somebody comes to, hey, man, you'll never know how much I needed that verse or those scripture, like God spoke to me, what I was walking through. And we've seen the sufficiency of scripture. Well, as y'all know, this, this week, my father passed away. Uh, and y'all didn't, some of y'all didn't, we really, it was very quick. About two weeks ago, they found that his body was just ate up with cancer from liver, pancreas, abdomen, spine. It was all over his body. Uh, last Saturday, he went into the hospital uh, with bad pneumonia. And so uh, Monday I got there and, you know, he was struggling to breathe. He 
Uh, even with oxygen fully on, his O2 levels were like 85. Uh, and then whenever he would pull it off to try to talk to him, and they would drop down to 60, 50, like they would just, and so it, thankfully in God's mercy, he didn't have to endure the cancer, right? That it was, a, it was a swift thing. But here's what I mean by the sufficiency of God's word. Monday morning before I went and saw dad, I was sitting at my desk studying Acts chapter nine. Studying the fact that Jesus has power over disease and death. I didn't know my dad was gonna die that day. But before I left, I stood up and God's my witness, you can go to my office. On the board, on my board I wrote, for the Christian, disease nor death have the final word. That Jesus does. That for the believer, cancer doesn't have the last word. Pneumonia doesn't have the last word. Anxiety doesn't have the last word. My dad had Agent Orange. That doesn't have the last word. Cirrhosis, I think about with, with Sarah losing her dad, Sarah and Miss Linda losing their husband, like Mr. Ronnie's sickness doesn't have the last word in his, in his life, but the, the word of his savior, when we get to heaven, it says he is mine, has more authority than any sickness, any disease, any pain, any suffering, because it does not get the last word. Why? Because Jesus has power over disease and death. Jesus always answers in the positive to the prayer for, for healing or resurrection. Sometimes on this side of eternity, but always on that side. Sometimes God chooses to heal somebody on this time, but always, always he heals on the other side. Sometimes he, 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 we haven't seen it, but sometimes we see it in scripture that he does raise somebody. But always, always he promises that one day there will be a resurrection. That the trumpet will sound, that those who are dead in Christ will be raised in a moment, in a twinkling of eye, and us who are still will meet him in the air. And in a moment, in an instant, we will gain these new bodies that are free from pain, that are free from sickness, that are free from disease, and even death, because Jesus has power over all those things. So what's the encouragement for you this morning? Hey, maybe you're thinking about somebody you've lost. Yeah, they were a child of God. I want to remind you that that sickness didn't have the last word on their life. That you can stand in hope this very morning because they are ultimately healed. Yes, we prayed for healing on this side. We're not promised it on this side. Oh, we are on the other side. This passage for me, it propels, I think for us, it should propel a perseverance in all of us. Right? I think it should encourage or it should propel us that what if we get the terminal diagnosis? What if Deloach calls me tomorrow and says, hey man, we found all kinds of scans in your body. You right? This understanding that whatever my body is corrupted with, it's not going to have the final word on my life, should allow us as believers to persevere in, in disease and in death. Right? Everybody with me? Like, even 
even if God allows, allows me or gifts me with the gift of suffering, as Paul would say, that I'm going to suffer well, that I'm going to struggle well, because I understand that the, that, that struggle is not going to, that, that bed mat is going, not going to be the definition of my life. Everybody with me? That's the take home, I think, from this text. Maybe it was just for me. Maybe I just needed it this week. But I think for all of us, we've lost somebody. Or maybe we're scared of how we will respond if we got that diagnosis. I want to encourage you by reminding you that Jesus has the last word of your life. And until you breathe your last breath, may we persevere with that understanding. Because we're not promised ease. Hey, the last two and a half, three weeks, the only word I got is sucked. That's all I got. It's my preacher talk for you. And I'm not up here pointing to me what I'm saying, just like Peter told Ananias, Jesus heals you. We persevere because we understand for those who we're mourning the loss of in Christ, they're new. They're healed. It still stinks on this side, but they're whole. And for all of us, we may, we, we may get to a point our health declines. All of us, probably, most of us, May we take this passage of Scripture and today remind ourselves and declare to the Lord, I will persevere in faith and diseased to death. That's the true reality. Dorcas was a believer. Yeah, she got sick and died pretty quick. When we say, I'm going to honor God in disease and in death. Because he's worthy of it. He's worthy of it. I'm going to end with reading this passage of scripture. Then I'm going to be quiet. I'm going to be standing back there in the back if you need to talk or pray. Romans 8, 31 says, "When What then... Shall we say to these things, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, he will, not, will, we not, will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn Christ Jesus, the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed in the, all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Verse 37, 37, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for your love for us. God, we thank you for your word, that sufficient word that, that is alive, that meets us where we are. God, we thank you that 
through the text today, we can see the marks of an apostle we, or even as, as a, of a pastor now. But I got even greater than that, God. We, we thank you for the power and authority of your son who has defeated death and Hades, who's removed the sting for those who have placed their trust in you. God, I pray that anybody in here this very morning who does not have that confidence, that assurance, that hope, that disease nor death can take away, God, I pray that today that they'll they'll place their faith in you. The only one who can make us conquerors in life and in death. God, we thank you that disease nor death have to define us or be the last word spoken over us. But your words of well done, my good and faithful servant. God, thank you for being good, patient, and loving. God, may we allow your Holy Spirit to minister to our hearts, our pain, our questions, our doubts this morning. That we respond in a way then in obedience that glorifies you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.